Jefferson, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here in Denver. We are currently in a series called Steadfast, and Pastor Tyler kicked us off last week with the first sermon in the series. And Steadfast is really all about what do we do and how do we stand strong in the midst of trials and difficulty that life brings. And I think this is such a fitting series for us to be in right now. Um, I was driving my kids to school on Friday morning. I had the day off work, and so I was able to be a little more leisurely. And uh, I I was driving them to school, and it was right after that really heavy snow, spring snow that we got on Thursday night. And uh, along the route to their school, there were tree limbs down all over the place, just broken branches lying along the ground. And I, I found myself getting really emotional about it. I, I was kind of tearing up at the, at the sight of all of these broken tree branches um, all along. My son goes to school really close to Wash Park, and so even in the park, just a ton of the trees had limbs laying on the ground. And um, it was just, it was sad to see. And I think, though, that there was something more than the trees that was making my eyes full of tears. I think it was just this sense of, wow, this year has been so heavy, and it's been so hard. Uh, for so many people, just feeling the grief of that, you know, feeling the grief of the pandemic, feeling the grief of uh, just news story after news story about these mass shootings that have really made a reprisal in these last couple weeks, uh, and just the, the continued lack of normalcy that we're still coping with on a weekly basis. I think just the heaviness of that was hitting me as I saw these, these branches along the side of the road. I think that maybe there's many of us today who feel like a snapped branch that feels like the weight of life, the heaviness of it, the sadness of things might have snapped you like those tree branches. Or maybe if you're not quite snapped, you, you feel like one of those, those branches that's bent down so low with the weight of the world, with the weight of life and the struggle, that you're, you're bent down, you're almost kissing the ground with the weight of the the snow that's on you. And so I want to talk about today, what do we do when we're there? What do we do when we're in that place of heaviness, of struggle, of breaking points? Uh, and I, I believe the, the, the passage that we're looking at today has a word to say on that, and I think that we'll all be feeling refreshed and encouraged. Um, so if you'll turn in your Bibles for me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 5 through 12. It will also come up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you or your phone with you. Um, last week, Pastor Tyler, he kicked off by talking about just a little background on the Thessalonian church. So the Thessalonian church was facing tremendous persecution for following Jesus. And Paul, who wrote this letter, he was encouraging the Thessalonians to continue to trust in the justice and the goodness of God, even in the midst. Of tremendous suffering. So the persecutions they were facing, they were horrific, nothing like the, the mockery we might face in our, in our country for being believers. This was like life and death type of stuff. This was extreme. And it was getting them to a place where they were questioning God's goodness, and they were asking themselves whether or not they were doing something wrong, that maybe they weren't getting it, maybe they weren't doing life right or weren't doing faith right. And I think we can empathize with that feeling. I think we ask the same questions when we're suffering. 
Does God even see me? Does God even care about what I'm going through? Am I doing something wrong? Is the suffering that I'm going through my fault? I think that's normal to ask those questions. And what, what Tyler shared last week is that some believers, they were starting to even think that maybe they missed the second coming of Jesus, that maybe they were like, their whole faith was a sham, that they missed it and that God didn't want them, that God had not kept his promise to come back and rescue them, and that maybe that's why they were suffering so terribly. And so Paul, he writes this letter to reassure them and to say, no, the suffering that you're going through, it does not negate the goodness of God, but actually the reality of your suffering, the persecution you're facing, actually the strength and the courage with which you are facing that, it actually is a sign of God's goodness. It's a sign of God's justice. And it's evidence of God's work in your life. It's evidence of his righteousness and his justice at work. He's saying your circumstance might make it appear that God is not just, but let me just assure you and promise you that he is. God is just. And not only is he going to bring ultimate justice when Christ returns to earth, and he says he's still coming, he's not here yet, he's still coming, but also God's justice and his blessings are available to you right now. So not only do you have a hope for the future, a glorious hope of Christ returning and making everything right and setting these things right that are so wrong in your world right now, but actually God is with you right now to guard you, to guide you, to give you hope, and give you peace. So let's, let's, let's pray as we begin our, our passage today. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's living and active, and that you use it to speak right into the midst of what we're going through. I pray for those who are feeling heavy right now, who are weighed down by the cares of life and the struggles that life brings. Lord, would you encourage hearts today? Would you help us to see that you are there in the midst of everything that we're facing, that you are faithful, and I pray that you would just fill us with a glorious hope, God. You called us to, to build this church to bring the hope of Jesus to the people of Denver, and I pray that you would do that today, that your hope would just fall in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and read our scripture together, and we're at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 12 says this, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so lots of words there. It's, it's a lot to unpack. We're 
God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So where, what Paul is doing here is he's harkening back to verses 1 through 4, which Pastor Tyler preached on last week. And in those first four verses, Paul is saying that the reason that he believes God is just, one of the reasons that he sees God's righteousness at work, is the fact that the Thessalonians are persevering so well and keeping their faith in the, in the midst of this tremendous persecution. So he's express, expressing this thankfulness that the Thessalonians' faith is growing, and he's saying that that fact alone is evidence that God is at work in you, that he's executing his goodness and his justness, justness and his righteous will in the midst of trying times. And this verse is also a reminder to the Thessalonians that they're not facing troubles because they're doing something wrong. This must have been such a relief to them, such a comfort to them. They're not, they're not experiencing suffering because they're doing something wrong necessarily, but because, uh, because they're living a life worthy of God, because they're actually doing something right. And I think it's important to note here that it's not the persecutions themselves that are making the Thessalonians worthy of God, but Paul is saying it's God's judgment, it's God's righteousness that's making them worthy of God. So they're worthy because of Christ's righteousness. And yet still, God is using the persecution in their lives. He's using that as a refining process and a strengthening process to strengthen their faith and also bring glory to God. So he's, he's trying to get them to see that their persecutions have purpose, that they have meaning. And so what Paul's doing is he's encouraging the Thessalonians that they are doing something incredibly meaningful with their lives. And Pastor Tyler spoke about that last week. He spoke about how so often, especially in American culture, but I'm sure just humanity in general, we pursue happiness, right? We're, we're, we're after happiness. We're trying to seek happiness. We're trying to find that elusive feeling of being happy. And actually, what we need to be happy is meaning. And so rather than seeking happiness in life, it makes a lot more sense to seek meaning. And Paul is telling them, that's what you're doing in your life right now. You are living a meaningful life. Your life not be, might not be easy. You might be suffering. You might be in pain. But the fact that your life is hidden in Christ, that you are living unto the Lord, that you're seeking to glorify him in everything you do, that that is giving your life meaning. And that meaning is what brings joy. Meaning is what brings happiness. The beauty of pursuing a meaningful life is that it can be found in both happy times and sad times because meaning isn't dependent upon circumstances. Meaning is dependent upon the meaning giver who is God. And so these Thessalonians, they can have amazing hope. They can have joy because their lives, their persecutions, their sufferings are giving their lives meaning. And so that is a tremendous comfort. Let's go along to verse 6. It says this, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So Paul, he's reminding them now. So he's saying, okay, not only does your, does your suffering, your persecution, those have meaning, but also I want to let you know that this isn't going to last forever. You don't need to worry because God is just. God is not going to let injustice 
reign forever. And what a hopeful reminder that is for us as well, that God is just, that even though we see injustice and sadness and pain everywhere in the world, God has promised that he will not let injustice reign forever, that he has a plan, that God has a plan to restore justice to the world through the return of Jesus Christ. That the Lord will be, bring relief to those who suffer and are troubled. And Paul says this will happen when Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So that's referring to the second coming of Christ. And that's something that I think isn't always emphasized as much in the Christian church today. We, we know, we teach that, that Jesus was born and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead and that that provides us salvation. But sometimes we don't talk enough about the fact that the story is not over yet, that Jesus is coming back. And that when Jesus returns, he is going to cleanse the world of evil. He's going to rid the world of injustice. He's going to heal the world of pain and sickness and death and death and dying and destruction and sadness. Those things are going to be no more. And that's what Paul is trying to encourage the Thessalonians with here, that there is a world coming where none of this stuff that you're facing will exist anymore. It's going to be a place of perfection and harmony and love and beauty. And that's what's coming. And you have that glorious hope still ahead of you. Let's continue at verse 8. It says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So this is the part of the passage where we get a little uncomfortable and start to squirm in our seats. I think we're, we're pretty uncomfortable, generally speaking, and I, I won't speak for you, but for me, I'm generally uncomfortable with reading about God's judgment. I think we like Christianity because it's about love, it's about grace. But, but Paul is reminding them here that, you know, to get to that place with no evil and with no persecution and with no suffering and no pain, there's going to have to be some stuff that goes down. And that's going to be God's righteous judgment. But this is talking about people in verse 8 when it says people who don't know God and don't obey the gospel. It's talking about people who've made a willful rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are people who are willfully opposed to Jesus and to the gospel. And those, those verses, the verse 9, it can make us uncomfortable because we don't want to think about everlasting destruction and about judgment for sin. But we also want to live in a place where evil is no more. And so what Paul is trying to remind the Thessalonians here is that a just God has to eventually deal with sin and has to eventually deal with evil. And so what he's saying is that eventually God is going to create a situation where the people who want to be with him and who want to do good, they're going to be safe with him. And the people who don't want God and who don't want to do good, who, who want to do evil, they're going to be separated from God and his people. Okay? And so when it says everlasting destruction, that sounds like, whoa. What that means is it means separation from God. It means they will be away from God and from God's people so that God and God's people can be safe. And they, they can have, have that peace and that joy forevermore. And there's also an implication in these verses. There's an implication that the Thessalonians, that they need to persevere in their faith so that they don't find themselves in the category of those who are separated from the presence of God. I think there can be a tendency for us to think of evil and sin as being something out 
there. So we hear something terrible on the news. We hear about a murderer or a mass shooting or some some uh, child, uh, you know, a child molester or something like that. We hear these awful things and we think that is evil. We point to that and think that's evil. And we're not wrong to say that because those things are evil. But we look at that and we, and we fail to recognize that the evil, the potential for evil is there inside of us as, as individuals, that we all have that potential. And so Paul's trying to get them to see that, that you yourself have the potential to turn your back on God, to decide that you don't want him, and to start to love evil instead of loving good. And so Paul's saying, not only do you have hope for the future that Jesus is coming back, not only are you living a meaningful life, but your persecutions are keeping you tethered to the fact that God is your source. They're keeping you tethered to this relationship that you have with him. And it's keeping you safe from being in the group of people who reject God and walk away from him towards evil. Let's continue at verse 10. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you have believed our testimony to you. So something that it's talking about here, when it says, on the day he comes, that is referring to the day of the Lord. And the Greek word used there is the Greek word apocalypsis, and that's the, the word that we get our word apocalypse from. And that really, I think that word can really stir in our imaginations and lead us to fear. There's a lot of blockbuster movies on the end of the world, on the apocalypse, and, and they're always really scary and, and, and things that, that entertain people quite a bit. But Paul is saying here that as people of God, that we should fear the apocalypse, that the people who should fear the apocalypse are those who reject God and do evil. And he's saying if you love God and you do good, if you love God and follow God, then that actually is a day of great hope, that the apocalypse is a day of hope fulfilled and justice restored forever. And that is something that we should look forward to with expectation. Uh, and so, so he's, he's reminding them again that this day of the Lord, that it's still to come, and that it's something that they should look forward to with expectant hope. Let's continue at verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these two verses, Paul is sort of doing a prayer report. He's telling them, these are the things that have been in my prayers for you. I want you to continue to persevere your faith in order to be made worthy of your calling, and not only that, but I want your desires to be fulfilled. He wants their desires for good things to be satisfied, and for the good works of their hands to be fruitful and meaningful. And I think that's such a good prayer. I just, I caught on to that in this text this week as I was preparing. I think that's such a good prayer to pray for ourselves and for others. It's going to come up on the screen because I think this could be something we can work into our prayer lives this week. God, please satisfy the good desires of our hearts and allow our deeds in this world to be useful and meaningful. I mean, is there anything better in life than that? Than to have the desires of your hearts met and to have meaningful work that you do. That's what we all want. So what a great prayer to pray for ourselves and for our loved ones. 
Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that even in the midst of their suffering, so not only do you have hope for the future, but right now, the Holy Spirit is at work in your midst. You're not standing alone. God is with you. God is here to encourage you, to strengthen you, to bless you, to guide you. The hope of Jesus is not just a hope for the future. It's a hope for today. And that's what he's reminding them of, that it's not just out there whenever Jesus returns, that it's right now you have this constant companion, you have this guide through the journey of life, through the struggle of life, who will help you, who have a helper. As I was studying this, uh, a verse came to my mind that has really been a verse that's been a very important one into my life since I was probably in my early 20s. This is a verse that God led me to. And I think it's so relevant for the time we find ourselves in right now and really relevant to this passage as well. In Psalm 31, 21, it says this. It says, Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. I always remember it as in a besieged city, but same thing. The idea here is that in life, Sometimes we feel like we're in a city under attack. I think we kind of have to picture that because we've probably never been in a city that's literally under attack. But if you can imagine sort of an Old Testament fortress city, a walled city, and you're in the middle of it in a house, and you can hear the enemy's army scaling the walls, roaring their battle cry, you can hear them killing people, you can hear screams, you can hear destruction, you hear fires crackling, your city is under attack. And what this verse is saying is that right there in that place, that is where God shows his wonderful love to you. That right where you feel stuck, if you're stuck in that troubled relationship, if you're stuck in that addiction, if you're stuck in that grief, in that depression, in that pandemic lockdown, in that lack of a job, wherever you are stuck, that is exactly where God is going to meet you and show you his wonderful love. That is the kind of God he is. He's the kind of God who gives you hope for the future, but he's also the God who meets you right where you're at and helps you through. And I love that verse so much. I, I, it's, I've come back to it over and over in my life because how many times in life do we feel stuck? I feel like that all of the time. Circumstances do that to us. They make us feel stuck. And God doesn't always get us out right away. He doesn't always deliver us right away. Sometimes it takes a while. But he's there. He's there in the midst of that. He's comforting. He's guiding. He's blessing. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. I would, I would encourage you, if you need some reminders this week of God's goodness and faithfulness in your life right now, because maybe you're stuck in that besieged city, I would encourage you to read the Psalms. Because the Psalms are raw and they're real. They're about life stuff. And, and, and they're so, they speak right to that need. They speak right to that moment of our weakness. Another one of my favorite verses in the Psalms is this. It says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. God is good, and we can wait on him. We can trust in him. We can know that good things are coming. And not just, ultimately, the day of the Lord apocalypse style, 
they're coming every single day with God's constant presence, his constant love, and his constant faithfulness to us. The amazing gift of following Jesus is that both our present and our future are soaked with God's grace because of the gift of salvation. We're blessed now, and we're constantly blessed then. Just a few points of application as we leave today. I hope you feel encouraged. But here's just a few more things. The first thing I wanted to say, maybe not all of these will apply to everyone, but I wanted to give a few, and maybe you can latch on the one that you know is for you today. The first piece of application is that I want to challenge us today to choose to move towards God in the midst of hardship. I think we have a choice, and we sometimes forget that we have a choice. When we face hardship, we can pull up, we can go inward, we can pull away from the people of God, we can pull away from God, and we can become bitter. Or we can choose to move toward God in our suffering. We can choose to call out to Him, to be honest with Him, to place our suffering before Him and say, God, help, and, and to ask Him the questions that we need to ask Him. And so I just want to challenge us today. Take that step towards God in your hardship. Take that step towards Him and see what He does. I love this quote uh, by the writer John Stott. He says, Faith is a relationship of trusting God, and like all relationships, it's a living, dynamic, growing thing. It's through our sufferings that our faith grows, because it's when we step out in those things and we step out and trusting God in our pain and in our suffering. We see him meet us, and then our faith is stronger. It's an amazing thing. I wanted to share just a quick story, just because this is very recent and so cool. Uh, but Ike recently went to the Poland's house to pray with them, and during that time, we were in the process of looking for a home uh, to buy. And uh, if anyone knows anything about the housing market right now, it's, it's disastrous. It's a scary time when you're trying to buy a house. And we were really worried that we just wouldn't be able to find one. And I was sharing that with, with Martha, and she said, don't worry, God is going to provide that. And she shared a story about how God provided a house for her and Fred, and um, that house they couldn't afford. And, and, and so I came and told me that, and I said, okay, I'm going to trust that. Martha's been following Jesus <laughs> much longer than I have, and um, I'm gonna, I need to trust her. I need to take her word on that, because I haven't been through this same. And that's the thing, and God, the happy ending, God did provide that for us. We, we were able to buy a house, and it's just such a blessing, and it's a house we could not afford either, and God did a miracle to provide for it. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff God does when you trust Him with your struggles, when you trust Him with the difficulties that you're facing. He does this amazing thing of coming in and building your faith and making you think, why did I ever worry about why did I ever think that he couldn't handle that? So we have to we have to allow suffering to build our faith. We have to lean into Jesus and let that turn into a positive in our relationship with him. The second piece of application that I want to share with you today is take responsibility for your choices. Let's be people who take responsibility for our choices. And what I mean by that is that I think that in our world today, we're in a culture we're in a climate where there's a lot of distancing from our choices, where we have a lot of uh, ways that we can skirt our choices and kind of say, well, I was, you know, I was mentally, 
I was in a bad place mentally or, you know, I'm going through some things or um, I'm just not in the mood. You know, we have a lot of these phrases and ways of speaking about things where we really avoid consequences. And I'm a teacher, I teach high school English, and oh my gosh, the culture of schools right now is no one's ever responsible for anything ever. It's always it's always someone else's fault or some some other reason why a student can't, you know, get their homework turned in. It's never just they don't want to do it. It's like they have problems and we need to accommodate that. And I'm, I'm not saying all that's wrong, but that's just so our culture right now is that we don't own it. We don't own things. And I think in this passage, what we're seeing is Paul saying your choices and the way that you choose to live your life matter a lot. It actually has eternal consequences. It has eternal mattering. Your life is meaningful, and your choices are meaningful, and so take responsibility for those choices. And so I just want to challenge you today, and I don't mean that in a judgmental way at all, but I mean that in a way of decide now who you serve. Decide now, am I a person who follows God with my whole heart? Do I align myself with God even if that means persecution? Do I align myself with God even if that means suffering? Or am I just kind of wishy-washy? Because wishy-washy is a choice. And so let's, let's be people who are firm in our choices, who take responsibility for our choices, and who think about the consequences of our choices. And then the third piece of application today that I think is so important, because this passage is about persecuted believers. This is about believers who are suffering for their faith. And so I think anytime we read a passage like this, it's so important to consider those in our world who are suffering greatly because of following Jesus. And so I want to challenge us this week. Try to work into your prayer life, prayers for the persecuted church, prayers for those who are dying, who are being killed, um, who aren't able to get the things that they need because they follow Jesus. Let's pray for those people. Um, and let's also be people who protest when we see unjust treatment of believers and do what we can to advocate for them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time to be together. I pray, God, that whatever you spoke that was from your heart to these individual hearts, that you would help that to settle. If there's anything that I said that wasn't for a certain person, would you just let that fall away? Would you help that, that old kernel that you had for that person, help that to stay there and be something that would bring them encouragement and guidance and light and joy in this next week. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who gives us hope for both today and tomorrow, that we have hope just filling our days and filling our future because you are present with us in our suffering. You are with us, and not only do you help us to persevere in our suffering, but you also bless us and bring us joy and goodness. So I pray, Lord, that this week, that each person here, that they would see your goodness, God, that they would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and that you would give them courage and strength to keep waiting on you in the areas of their lives where they still need breakthrough. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.